0: Hi, my name is Alevin Young, coach of the Flyers.
1: Hey, I'm Travis Connectney. Hi, I'm Paul Hulgren. Hi, I'm Matt Neskinen. Hey, I'm Scott Lutton.
0: Hi, I'm Joel Farabee.
1: Hi, it's Derek Grant. Hi, this is Bob Clark. And you're, you're listening, listening to
0: Snow the Goalie. 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 Snow
2: the Goalie. Snow the Goalie. Oh, yes! Ladies and gentlemen, the first place Flyers. Oh, baby. We get to go into a week knowing... That your team, your town, the Orange and Black, the Philadelphia Flyers are the top seed in the Eastern Conference. They're going to go and they're going to smack the crap. They're going to smack the Quebecois out of the Montreal Canadiens. Les Canadiens de Montréal. Yeah, whatever. And now we are here to break it down. It is the All-Star team. I know it's the postseason. We're going full All-Star. We've got Anthony Sanfilippo. We've got Colby Cohen. I'm here. Follow everybody on Twitter. We've got at Snow the Goalie. We've got at Anne Philly, At Colby Cohen 36. Gentlemen, welcome Welcome to the podcast, the only Flyers podcast where we talk about the best team in the city of Philadelphia. You
0: know, Ross, uh, I'm I'm a little disappointed in your French. I'm a little disappointed in it because you got to know that the Canadians are the Blue Blanc at Rouge, right? That's Les habitants. habitants. That's what yeah, that's, they call them in that's, ca- that's, in Montreal. That's, a,
2: that's their nickname. Their yes. official Yeah, their official team name is Les Canadiens de Montreal. So okay. you know, Anthony, you can all right. Take, you know, you oh, and your, you and you oh. and your. Oh, you know, it's like saying, oh, well, the Flyers, you know, the uh, the fans in Philadelphia call them the orange and black. Well, yeah, okay, but that's not the team name. Okay, yeah. It, it, I, found already it funny.
0: I found it funny because we were in, you know, in our Slack chat, you were, and I'm not going to say who, but you were questioning some of the French, actual French-speaking players during their interviews today. You yeah, there was
2: a panic moment. We didn't of particularly
0: the, uh, like the, the the way that their French sounded.
2: Well, first of all, Quebecois <laughs> is garbage. Okay, we're going to, like, we can... We can have a full linguistic debate here, but québécois that they speak in Montreal is flat out garbage, Garbaggio, okay? So we just we just lost all our listeners in Quebec, Colby. That's it. We're
0: done.
1: Well, it it does throw me when I watch a Claude Julian press conference and he's speaking French because when I played with, you know with for Claude, he never spoke French, not a word of French, obviously. So it just it's almost like someone's dubbing his voice over the way his mouth is moving when he's talking in these French French press conferences it it it, it weirds me out for sure.
2: <laughs> Do I start lobbing bombs at all the uh, the French Canadian reporters who are asking stupid questions of flyers? The, like there's nothing worse, I got to be what? honest. And this oh, is where I'll Jesus. side with you. There's Thank nothing you.
0: there's nothing worse than the multi- the, the t- having the two different media Again, and Colby I don't know if you if you had an opportunity to experience this yourself but you know you get the English media and you get the French media and then there's the there's the scrum and you're having the interview and you're asking a question and then they, you know the French media like kind of bully their way in and ask a question in front of you in French that you have no idea what the hell is being said well that's you don't thought. know who's answering what and then you go to ask a question back in English and it might be the same question that was just asked and you can see the player kind of roll their eyes and like oh my god like he just answered this you just answered this in another language and I have no idea. So yeah, I'm not a big fan of the multilingual press conference.
2: I thought that was going to be a moment that Colby was going to like hate on French. Here's the thing. <laughs> so I'm going to say this. He's not going to do that out loud. Listen, no. <laughs> I'm going to say this and I'm going to say this in the nicest way. The NHL does not handle multiple languages and press conferences as well as MLS does. How do oh, I know?
0: Here we go I, with the soccer. I'm references.
2: dead. No, I'm dead serious because when when I ask a question in Spanish – or when one of the other reporters from like um, the local Telemundo channel ask, there's a translator on hand and they have that moment so that nobody loses it. Now granted, translation is is very tricky and you lose a lot of the nuance, but like that's at least there. You would think that knowing that this series is going to have French speaking reporters that like, I don't know, the NHL might just say, hey, maybe it'd be smart to have a translator there to help out the English speaking media. I'm just saying. Well,
1: they also, but they also have the RDS in Canada, you know, and they're trying to fill sound for for their shows too. So you know, I don't I mean, fault I,
2: the I don't fault the French guys for speaking French like Anthony does. Anthony's a hater. I'm just saying that for the purposes of making sure there aren't redundant questions to players. You know what I'm a hater of. A
0: you know what I'm a hater of? Pretentious people who feel like they have to ask questions in Spanish so they can hear themselves ask questions in Spanish because they think they know the language.
2: No, the people who ask what questions I, in what Spanish I'm are of. the ones who are asking people whose native tongue is Spanish because they'll get a better, more articulate answer. Yeah, because, you know, you write does for it,
0: a Spanish-speaking... You, you for a Spanish matter. speaking
2: No, but I have the ability to translate stop the it. fully nuanced uh, answer into English. Okay, let's move on. The flyers. So... Colby, uh, you were out doing games for Westwood One, and you had the opportunity to call uh, some of the the series for Montreal taking down the dirty, filthy, flightless birds. And so I wanted to get from your perspective, first of all, we're not going to call them what they are here. They're just flightless birds. Um, Anthony and I kind of had a disagreement on the post-game show the other night um, about how dangerous Montreal is. And It's hard to say that this is obviously very different from normal postseason where, you know, you ride a hot goalie at the end of the regular season and then you fear that in the first round, whereas this, you know, you had the round robin over here and you had the qualifying round over here. But Carey Price didn't necessarily, you know, stonewall and steal the series. But, like, do you fear the possibility that he can, in theory, turn it on and and potentially steal some games here, if not the series for Montreal? What did you see?
1: You know, uh... No, just because the Flyers have such a gritty style of play. I mean, when you when you really watch the Flyers and you watch the way they're scoring goals, you watch the way they're forechecking, and you watch the way they're getting out of their own zone, it's not pretty necessarily. You know, it's not um, fancy. It's not a lot of east-west. It's not a lot of regrouping. It's It's, you know, it's puck possession, but it's puck possession the hard way. And... Uh, when i think about the way that they score goals i mean they score in a lot of different ways you know you see the goal where there's traffic in front and then there's a goal where uh shane gossesfair makes a, a great heads up play and it's more of a slam dunk so you know they they score in a lot of different in in a lot of different ways Carey price can steal a game i i think in a series a best of 7 can he steal a game uh, yeah absolutely but um You know, when I look at Montreal and I actually – when I called their games in that series and I scouted them and I watched the film, you know, the three guys who actually really stood out to me the most were Weber, Sherratt, and and Petrie. And those guys are playing good hockey. I mean, heads and tails better than the rest of that team because they lack depth. I mean, big-time lack depth. They have sort of spread out their talent across four lines – um and they have a lot of kind of bend but not break moments throughout a game and if you catch them a little bit they can break but uh you know Carey Price is always going to be good and he's always going to give you a chance to win um but I didn't see him stand on his head like a crazy person and absolutely win the series on his own that I did not see in that series
0: yeah and 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 what I was I think what I was saying and you know maybe you sold me just a little bit short there Russ is that. I don't think that it there's enough there with a goalie being the best player on a, you know, uh, if we compare the two teams, the Canadians are certainly far less talented than the Flyers. I don't think that there's enough for one player to kind of flip that entire series the, the other way. I mean, yeah, what Colby just said is, is 100% accurate. Can he take a game? Can he steal a game? Yeah. Is he going to steal four games? That's unlikely. Um, and, and that doesn't mean that I don't think these games could be close. I think Montreal can hang in a couple games. I don't think the Flyers are going to beat them six to one every night, but I do think that the Flyers are, are a superior team. They have a superior, superior talent, a superior system. Um, and therefore I think that they're going to win, win the series. When I say easily, I mean, five games if you win four games to one. I think that's a pretty easy series, even if a few of those games are close, so I mean I don't think it's a long series. I think that's kind of what I was saying, and I, uh, Colby, I, I, you know, you agree with that, I would think, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think Pittsburgh was a little bit soft yeah. in that series, and and Montreal, the one thing that they can do is they can work and they can get in your way and be annoying, and, and um, they kind of wait and wait and they, you know, Price keeps the game at two to one or maybe three to one, and then they just kind of wait and then they wait and. You know, nobody really dazzles you, but then you you might get a a good four-checking player, a turnover, and and they kind of – you know, you look at Pittsburgh and guys like Malkin who had a terrible series and look how many turnovers he had. And you just – you can't do that against Montreal. If you you try to, you know, get away from the system because you know they're not as talented uh, and you start turning pucks over, that's when you give Montreal a chance and you give Carey Price a chance to go win a series. But I'm with you guys on that. I just think that the way that the Flyers are playing, and I don't mean their momentum. I just mean the way that they get up and down the ice and the way that their habits have evolved uh, and the way that, you know, I, the way that they beat Tampa, although, you know, that game was pretty even, even though they, they both had their moments in that game. But, you know, I talked to one of the defensemen from Tampa Bay after the game and just, I you know, I said to him, uh, what, like, you know, what like, what was the game like for, from your perspective? and he said, you know, the Flyers have just simplified things so well. The way that they're using the boards to get out of the zone, their D to D that's a wrap. I mean, they, they just don't hold the puck. It made it impossible for Tampa to forecheck. I mean, they, you know, it, when, when they see, or if they see the Flyers again later in the playoffs Tampa, and I know I'm getting a little off subject here, um, they will change the way that they forecheck and they will be needing to go down the walls more and, You know, most teams are usually forechecking through the middle and then they're pushing out towards the walls. And that's the reason that the Flyers were able to really take advantage, never gave Tampa a chance to forecheck, where Montreal is going to try to like, they're going to try to slow you down. They're not going to come aggressive. They play a a one-two-two on the forecheck and the neutral zone, and they're both very passive. The first guy is really not in there to make contact. He's more of a steer type of guy like you'd see on a five-on-four, so... You know, it'll be interesting to see, but I, you know, I'm with you guys that the Flyers, the way they're playing makes them difficult for basically any style.
2: So what you're saying is that the Canadians have done a really good job of embodying the wimpy, Passive nature of French Canadians in general. Good. Okay. So <laughs> that's that's that's, know, that's, gonna, that's that's. I'm that's going what to walk. You, that's
1: what happens when you translate, right? Yeah. Unless there you I, go. Please, yeah. please do not translate, because I could end up doing doing a game for Westwood in this Flyers <laughs> Montreal series here. So just you know, be careful for me, okay? I'd I'll like to, to keep some. I'd like to keep a job this time of year.
2: Oh no! Oh jeez! Um, I wanted so the the. The availability today had me angry, and I'm I, I'm just considering not doing them anymore because I'm I'm getting so frustrated by the questions that reporters ask. But let me ask you this because it came up. It was the same reporter I think who asked it of every player and AV. The concept of there being an urgency that existed in the qualifying round because you needed to win in order to get to the knockout stage versus what the round robin was and the intensity that that came about as part of the, the round robin. Do you guys put much into that? Because this is actually one of those times where I think Claude Giroux's, um English and uh, trying to word things a certain way in his head got uh, potentially a bad quote that I don't think anybody ran with, but he said that there wasn't intensity in the round robin. I don't think he meant it like that. But he did say that, like, there there is still something different about that qualifying round versus what his team just did by running the table in the round. Yeah, robin. you know what's different about it, Russ? None of those teams in the round robin were getting
0: eliminated. <laughs> that, that, that's what's different about it. Yeah, there there was, and we talked. We've talked about this, and, and I I kind of told you. I said I thought teams were going to use those three games as a way to kind of see what they have, get back into the swing of things maybe get some extra guys, a little bit of extra time. Even the Flyers, as much as they really you know, w- were focused on winning these games and making a statement and making a point and getting the number one seed, they did play Brian Elliott a game. They did get uh, Gostas Bear in. They got Connor Bunneman in. They got Joel Faraby in. And I understand that there was an injury to Michael Roffel, but I, I think that you know AV was probably going to try and get these guys in the game anyway, right? I think that these guys were going to play no matter what. So, you know, are, are, if you were really – Worried about the intensity and worried about you know playing it, playing your best players. I mean, you would have played your best players if that's what you were worried about. The fact that they that these teams used it as an opportunity to get some depth guys, you know, on their in their skates and getting them playing games again. I think that that's an indicator that these four teams kind of looked at it and said, yeah, I mean, you know, we'll we'll try and win. We'll, Well, you know, the games were decent, but they weren't. They were played like regular season games. They weren't played like playoff games, with the exception, I think, of that Vegas-Colorado game, which I thought was – I don't know, if, Colby, if you saw that game, but, boy, that was a hell of a game.
1: Yeah, I mean, those two teams, the amount of speed and skill that they play with, it's yeah. its hard to imagine a scenario where they're not playing in the conference final. Right. Um, but, you know, Russ and I talked about this a little bit last week, and, and I, I've been pretty open whether I've been doing – whoever I've been talking to and doing shows and stuff this week about the fact that I've wavered on my thought process leading up to the round robin on whether I thought it was a good thing or not to be playing in the qualifier, to be playing in those intense games. Um, And, and I'd say my, the way I feel right now is sort of similar how I felt after watching the Flyers and watching the Bruins play the first two games is that, I actually I like it and and I like it because I think that the Flyers put more into it than any of the other teams. Mm-hmm. I think that they were pissed. The Flyers played pissed off in those games because I think that they felt like they had something to prove, which I which I do think that they still have something to prove. Um I think that it, what what makes me, you know, What gives me hope and what makes me happy with the way that it went for the Flyers is that, yeah, they worked some guys in, but nothing out of the ordinary. You you didn't see some guy who didn't play all year uh, end up in the lineup. You know, Brian Elliott, I think if the Flyers are going to have a chance to win the Stanley Cup, he's going to play at some point. Whether he comes in in the second half of the game that they're not playing well and A.V.'s looking to get a spark. Or, you know, listen, or an injury, whatever could happen, you're going to probably need them both at some point. You're going to need 7D, and you're probably going to need 13 or 14 forwards. So, you know, I look at it, but when I look at the way the other teams handled it, and I look at the Bruins, uh, you know, I don't know if it's a switch. And I think the Bruins are counting on it being a switch. They're flipping the on switch now. I mean, I saw some of the quotes today uh, from Tuca, who is an ultra-competitive guy, and and Bruce Cassidy, well, it's, it, now it's time to play for real. Like, they're going to turn on a switch. And, you know, I've been on good teams. I've been on bad teams. There is no switch. When you're playing really well, usually on a winning streak, uh, you towards the end of the winning streak, you stop playing well, but you still win a couple of games down at the end. But the problem is, is you think you're just flipping that switch on and you're ready to go. It just doesn't work that way. And the fact that the Flyers got those extra practice days, which I'm sure were planned very carefully with certain drills that are conditioning type of drills. They can work on their special teams. You know, all that kind of stuff I think will compound because, you know, realistically we still got two months to go on this thing, right? I mean, it feels like they've been back playing now for weeks and weeks and weeks when it hasn't really been that long. So, you know, I, I liked it for the Flyers. I didn't necessarily like it for some of the other teams, St. Louis, didn't really play all that well. The Bruins were bad. I mean, I don't think the Bruins will lose their first series, guys, but it wouldn't shock me because I just don't believe that you flip a switch in this game. I, I just don't.
0: Well, I think Carolina's gonna give them a hard time. Carolina's a good team. I just don't like the goalie, right? I mean, I don't like the goaltending situation there. But I, you know, Hamilton's coming back and and they got some good talent up front. I think Svechnikov's taking that next step with that team. Um. So I think the Hurricanes can be, a, can, they can be a, a dangerous team for the, for the Bruins, but I just again I think if, if you're going Tuca versus Peter Morazic. I
1: yeah, it's, but the it's advantage is still every day, good,
0: balls. yeah, yeah.
1: So, I just don't think it's a switch though, and I think yeah. that the way that the Flyers handled this, you know, they are relatively a healthy team nobody's 100% healthy right now. Nobody. They all started healthy, but after two weeks, nobody's 100% healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, they're relatively healthy. The right guys are ready to play. They're getting the other ones or maybe a game or two in, whatever. And the goaltender is playing well. So it, it, it's sort of, you know, the dominoes fell correctly for them in the round robin where I don't think Montreal has an advantage because they just battled with Pittsburgh for five games.
2: Well, see, and this is where I think coaching is so much more important than than even normal, right like and it felt like i don't know if it was just the circles that i I roll with, but like when the n b a was working on their comeback and when the uh when major league baseball was working on their comeback, it felt like it felt like more of the national narrative around those sports was well, this is where having an experienced coach to help you bridge this gap in this uncertain time is so important, and it didn't feel like that was nearly the same. It was given the same level of attention with the NHL. And and oddly enough, it's almost like, yeah, it's AV's first season with this team, but he's an experienced coach. And because the players, and like I can't come back to this enough, but and Colby, I'm sure you could speak to this, you know, but like last year's team and the way that team approached games. And I think the level of respect they had or didn't have for Dave Hackstall as a coach and then Scott Gordon as the interim coach and not knowing necessarily what to expect, not knowing how they fit within the macro concept of the team, uh, maybe lack of accountability on some ends. There were so many question marks around the team (laughs) last year that now when you look at this and you listen to guys who are vets in this league or guys who are, you know, rookies or in their second year, everybody seems to know what to expect from Elaine Vigneault in practice what their role is specific you know for themselves and what their line and what their role is relative to the overall goal of what the team is and so I feel like those are all things that kind of play into the Flyers favor that you know some other teams might not necessarily have is that same kind of advantage do you see something like that you know playing a, a, a positive role for the Flyers in this weird time
1: well I mean when you start with Montreal they had Alex uh, Belzee in the lineup the other night and he was his first ever game in the NHL. I mean, they're still playing with their lines. They, they're, they're, you know, 12, 13 forward, 14 forward. Uh, They're to be determined. You know, they're, you look at the flyers and you know who their 12 are. Now there might be an injury that, uh, or, you know, or, but they know who they are. Everybody understands their role. And, and, you know, that's an important thing because when you're a player on a team who maybe doesn't agree with the coach, but the team is winning, um, that's when you just do what your role is. It happened to me in the American league one year in Providence when we were on like a 12 or 13 game win streak. And, you know, I got put on a pairing uh, that was more of like a defensive pairing and they were going to test me out to see, you know, it was like my third year in the league. They really didn't know what to do with me. I wasn't putting up big numbers. So they are going to put me as a defensive guy. And I was not happy about it. I had to go play against the other team's players. I got pulled off the ice for the power play. It really pissed me off. But when we won almost 13 or 14 games straight. We were first in the Eastern Conference. And so it's hard to argue with that. It's hard to mope about that. So you really just have to be a pro. You really just have to grow up and do your job and show up and work. So. You know the clarity around roles, you know, Anthony. I just I think that's a huge surplus for them.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you say that, Colby, because it was one of the things I just wrote about in my last story, and I was going to ask you. I mean, I expressed my opinion. Like I looked at this team and said, let us just imagine Vorchek's good to go. I mean, he's game time. He practiced. They're still calling him a game time decision, but let's Let's say he can play game one. Who comes out of the lineup? I mean, because you know, does Farabee stay in? Does Uh, JVR stay in does Connor Bunneman stay in and I think it really kind of depends on what roles Elaine Vino and his coaching staff feel need to be filled and like I like like to me if you if you're looking to replace Michael Roffel who was probably going to be on your fourth line I think Connor Bunneman probably fits this lineup better at this point in that role on the fourth line than Faraby would and then the question becomes okay well then who fits better on that third line? With Derek Grant and Nick Albae-Kubel, is it JVR who has not looked good and I know doesn't really fit this system very well? Or do you put the kid, Faraby, in there after he had a nice game uh, against uh, Tampa?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's – it's they definitely have some position battles going. There, there's no doubt. And the other thing, too, is is I don't think Michael Roffel is going to be out for, like, a crazy extended period of time. No, he's not. Um, my my – my understanding of that situation is that, you know, he's he's probably not necessarily day-to-day, but I don't think he's more than a week-to-week type of situation. Wait, right. well, hold on. I'm, looked...
2: I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Breaking news. Breaking news. The Philadelphia Inquirer's Flyers writer just said that Westwood One claims that Michael <laughs> Roffin will be back within a few days. <laughs> no, no. that That's certainly
1: not what happened, but... I just, you know, I, you, you you obviously don't hear anything about what's going on. And, and it's just, I get the sense that I don't think it's a long-term thing for Raffle. I think we'll see him back. And I think he's an important piece. I mean, right. I know when those, when those first original lines kind of came together at the end of phase four or whatever, his, you weren't sure if he was going to be in the lineup on that line. They were talking about whether it was going to be him or Farabee Now, Elaine Vigneault is always going to start with veteran players. Mm-hmm. He is always going to start with veteran players and he's not alone. It's the playoffs. You go with guys that you know have done it for years. You're going to give them the leg up. Now, if someone plays himself out of that spot, well, that's usually when you see youth get more of an opportunity, but uh, it'll be interesting. I, I'm Look, I'm with you guys. I mean, I I personally think the team's a better team with Van Reems. Like I also think the power play's not been very good. And I think, that is one of his biggest strengths is letting him play in front of the net. If Carrie Price sees the puck, he stops the puck. He needs somebody who's big and who's gonna make his life annoying. So if it's not James, it's gonna have to be someone. and mm-hmm. um, you know it'll it'll be I mean i'm I'm anxiously awaiting to see what the lines are and and obviously aV said today he's no longer going to share with everyone what the lines are. so uh, we'll all be trying to watch whatever shots of warm up we get and uh, figure it out for ourselves.
2: (laughs) See, I I think the JVR thing is, is something that, you know, we talked about last week, but you kind of wonder how many games he's going to get. And, and if, if AV and company go into this series and and they also are in agreement with us that this could be a short series, short series, or shouldn't be one that goes seven games. Do you use this series as a way to try to get JVR going? So that later on, when you really need him in the postseason, he's feeling better about himself. He's feeling confident. Maybe he starts riding one of those, you know, those patented JVR streaks where he just goes incredibly white hot and then all of a sudden he looks like this dangerous seven million dollar a year guy. Or do you worry that like maybe he doesn't fit in the role that they kind of need him to play right now? And like you you feel like you get better energy out of a Joel Farabee in that third line role. And you just kind of wait and see if there's an injury and, and that's where JBR goes back in. Like, I don't know. I I, I see what you're saying about the, the veteran thing, but like I don't know if he has a guaranteed spot in this lineup right now. I,
0: I think that you can you can risk it against Montreal to see if you can get him going. Because you're because you're such a, because I think there is a disparity between these two teams talent wise, I think you can start with JBR and hope it and hope he finds it and gets it going again. And and kind of is there in the in the wings, waiting to come in if it doesn't work out, right? So I you know I think it's fair to say that Van Riemsdyk's going to be in the lineup um, to start Game One. Um, I think it anyway, uh, but that if he if he's not playing great, then they, then it, hey, it's a good problem to have that you have a player, you know, who you can who you think can play in this league and and play big games and you know, and you put them on the front top line against Tampa, you know, I, it's good to have that guy in reserve. It's a good problem to have. Obviously, as Colby was saying, Montreal doesn't have that luxury. They're still trying to figure they're, – they're in a playoff round, you know, do or die against the Penguins, and they're throwing guys out there for their first playoff game ever. Trying they, to did it, out, they,
1: yeah. they did it in game three with Evans, and yeah. he got
0: hit completely
1: not ready for the puck. I mean, it was it was kind of ugly, it was bleeding, and then they did it with Bell Z at the end, the kid who played in the preseason game, and I might be saying his name wrong, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the other thing I would tell you guys, and and you know, I know you guys have, have seen long playoff runs before, you know, I watched Mark Recchi become a role player in a Stanley Cup run, and Mark Reckey was not a role player all year, and I think Um, and, and I read it in James's quotes the other day when, when he was talking about the fact that, look, if the puck's not going in, you got to make sure you're doing the little things, right. You got to make sure you're not turning the puck over. You're not making high risk plays. So, well, when we're evaluating a guy who's a goal scorer and he's not scoring goals, I think it's, we're all very quick to say he doesn't have it or he's not finding it. You know, when I talk to him, he feels good. His legs feel good. Uh, His hands feel good. Um, It just kind of takes one to get the goals going, Uh, but I just think that, you know, come playoffs, you're going to see guys down blocking shots that wouldn't be blocking shots. I mean, Mm -hmm. when when a team has a chance to win, and not just make the playoffs, we're not talking about a couple years ago against the Capitals, when you just, I mean, it was like David versus Goliath. We're now talking about a team that is the odds-on favorite with Vegas to win the Stanley Cup. It could change quickly, but that's where it is today. Right. I read that somewhere. And so Mm -hmm. that, you know, guys are going to be blocking pucks with their faces if they need to. That is, I mean, you will sell your soul to win that silver trophy. So, you know, I, I, I do, I, I don't think in this situation you need goals, but if you're not getting goals, you have to watch the little things. You've got to watch you're on the third line. Are you making high-risk plays? Are you getting the puck out? Are you getting it in deep? Are you getting it on the forecheck? Those are all things that you can control. And so that's what we're just going to have
0: to wait and see. So what do you think about the defense, the third-pair defense then? What's he going to do back there?
1: You know, I, look, I <laughs> Sandheim left the game early, right? Yeah. So we, I guess we really don't know. Is, is he 100%? I mean, I, you he know, came back. He came back, but, you know, it's uh, – I mean, obviously, you want him healthy. Look, I, I'm I'm a Gostasphere fan. I I think his offensive – you know, I just I, – I love his offensive instincts. And I, I really actually thought he had a good game the other day. Now, he I did. didn't watch the whole game completely close. Um, I, I was around a lot of people. I didn't have the sound on. So, was, I wasn't able to, like, completely focus on the game. But what I saw is a guy who is playing with urgency mm-hmm. and serious compete and when you do that, your mistakes don't look as bad, and the good things seem to happen for you, and we saw the two goals against Tampa, which, I mean, that, those, those are two major goals, obviously, um, makes a good read on the one, makes a good, confident play with his glove, and then gets it on that with the other, you know, can the other guys back there do that? Yeah, probably, those, we got some, there's some other good skilled defense back there, but, um you, you know I'm gonna be honest with you I don't know what I would do I, I really don't I'm glad I don't have to be the one making that decision because you've really got seven capable guys
2: mm-hmm. well it's clear I don't know how you guys haven't thought of this you uh just put ghost on the fourth line oh, stop it I'm not serious it's not serious did Westwood report serious. that too yeah they, they <laughs> reported it unbelievable unbelievable I can't believe it No. Oh. No, the, I think we should send it to that reporter, though, and we should yeah. ask him. We'll bring him on the Zoom call, and if he there can figure out how to unmute himself <laughs> four months into a pandemic Stop and it. not being able to figure it out. And, uh, no, no, I thought
0: I, I, and I thought, Ghost played a great game, too, Colby. The, the only play, and it happened in, I was it the first period, Russ? I think it was the first hmm. period. Um, Puck coming behind the net, uh, and I forget who was, who was the first four checker in for Tampa that was kind of chasing him and rather than you know keep going around behind or, or rimming it up the wall he did a little drop pass now he was on with Phil Myers cuz they hadn't they hadn't made the complete change yet uh, on the back on the back end and it was Phil was completely not expecting the play and so he drops it back and then the, there's a turnover in Tampa gets the play. now they don't score but i know that historically one of the things that one of the criticisms of Shane's play has been that sometimes he puts his partner in a, in a less than desirable spot with the puck when he could have made yeah. a, could have made a different play. And so well, when I looked at the game and I, and I see and I go, yeah, he had the great plays offensively and I thought he was awesome in the offensive end of the ice, but that if you're in the playoffs, are you more concerned about that? Or are you more concerned about the little plays that could lead to goals the other way in your own end?
1: Yeah, I think it's a balancing act. And, you know, I watched, Tampa Bay really closely this year. Um, and I'll tell you right now, Victor Hedman sometimes leaves his partner out to dry too. Yeah. Now I'm not saying the two are comparable players. Victor Hedman to me is, you know, probably the best player and defenseman in the NHL. Uh, but you know, the high risk guys, they they have their moments. And is Shane's Lee shorter? Yeah, because of what what transpired this season. But I also think that um the manager I think Chuck Fletcher who you know is has more of a history with the college players and and he's a college guy himself and you know kind of you look at some of the the moves he's made in his career you know you see a lot of American players defensemen you know these guys have track records and I I think he's in Goss's corner probably Mm -hmm. more than Av is um, and I think it's all very collaborative the way that they do things from what I understand more than in a lot of situations, actually, between the manager and the coach. Um, but, you know, I, I, I do think that you're going to get those moments. But you know what? The good goalies and, and eventually we as people who cover this team will get to a point where we forget about some of the little mistakes because it becomes routine that they get a save. And, and that's teams that win. You know, Tampa Bay makes mistakes and Vasilevsky, he erases them. Mm -hmm. And so you forget about that turnover. And when you're a player, you also, you get a quarterback mentality because you know your goaltender is making that save. You throw an interception, doesn't matter. You know you're going to get one back or you're going to get a save. Your D is going to make a stop. So it just changes everything about the way we perceive players, the way we watch, the way we grade, everything. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we're still a little gun shy with it, but I think we'll get there eventually.
2: It is interesting that, like, I, I, again, it kind of comes back to how does this team, from an organizational standpoint, view this series? Because if you think that Shane played well enough in that last game that you want to roll him out again and, and give him a shot, you've got to think that that's not going to be the thing that'll cost you. And so if you want to see if you can ride the hot streak and see if you can kind of get his head on straight, and like I said this on the last show, I think I said it on the post game show, but like Shane bear's biggest problem, his biggest enemy is himself. And when he gets in his own head and he starts overthinking, that's when he starts making bad plays. And he's at his most dangerous when he rips that puck on net and it is on net. When he's not overthinking it and starts pulling it four or five feet wide like he did last year, which is a big part of why he was out of the lineup, he's got to be dangerous in getting the puck on net. And if he does, and he's feeling confident in himself, then all of a sudden there's this whole new dynamic to what this team can bring to the table. Now I do wonder, like maybe he ends up in this lineup for game one and if it goes poorly i would assume that they go back to the pairs that they had before this i I would expect that robert haig is back in and you start to see a team that kind of goes a little bit more defensive minded on that third pairing maybe that's what happens now if travis sanheim is feeling stiffer now than he was a few days ago if if something kind of rears its ugly head if if the injury you know isn't maybe as bad but maybe is nagging more uh, then the team had led on. Then you know maybe they have to. They're kind of forced into making that kind of decision. But I don't know. I think if you're AV, maybe you do have to think about rolling ghost out there another game and just see how it goes.
0: And and I guess the, here's the other question on this too, Colby. Does does the fact that the power play has not is the one area that has not looked good for this team? Does it make you think? You know what? Maybe if we put him back on that top power play unit it might kind of spark things a little bit because of how dynamic a player he is in that way without a doubt I think
1: that the power play is important what did I see today I saw something today uh where oh you know what it might have been oh I heard it okay I heard it on the radio today a caller called in um to one of the radio shows one of the sports shows and just said, you can't win without a power play. You can't win the Stanley Cup without a power play. And look, the power play is very important. But uh, I, I I sat in the press box for four rounds uh, of the playoffs. I watched our team win, and I watched us go 0 oh, for about 4,000 through the first two rounds of the playoffs. We did not score a power play goal in the first two rounds.
0: And this is Boston, twenty eleven, right?
1: Yes. Okay. Not one goal. We we won in seven against Montreal, and then I think in the second round we swept it was the Flyers. Yeah. And there wasn't a power play goal, and so it's not the be all, end all. You need your power play to get going. Montreal's power play, by the way, has been terrible. Um, well, I, I actually good. wanna
2: I wanna throw this out to you guys. I don't know the last time you looked at the power play stats for the league, but through the qualifying round and the round robin. Anybody have a guess of what the highest um, percentage was on the power play?
0: We're talking teams that played a maximum of five games, Russ,
2: right? Yeah. (laughs) What was the highest percentage? 25. No.
1: I would say about 17.
2: No. So believe it or not, Tampa, Tampa had uh, hit it 40%. But then uh, after them, it drops off by 10%. There were only nine teams in the league other than Tampa that, that were over 20%. Was uh, Chicago one of them? Chicago was ninth at 22.2%. And then after that, it's another pretty sizable jump, like another 4% down to where Pittsburgh was in 11th at 176 And the floor really falls out. I mean, St. Louis, the Rangers, Columbus, Boston, Montreal, and Philly all, all hit under 10% on the power play. And well, so, in
1: Montreal, Montreal. Just to, I want to just throw this in really quick. In the game, in game three or either game three or game four, the game Montreal came back. They were losing three to one to Pittsburgh, and they won four three. They had two goals that happened within two seconds of a power play expiring. So don't get credit, like the Jeff Petrie goal, where he scores the goal at the end of the at the end the game winner, yeah, short yeah. side. That was one or two seconds after a power play had got out. So, yeah, it's not a power play goal, but they did get to all, you know,
2: basically Almost. power play All right, play so goals we'll, so we'll raise them to two out of 12. <laughs> all right, so that would put them at 12th in the league. In a, yeah, but it's, all, in a, in Russ, a it's, it's too but, small of a sample. No, Russ. I get it, but what I'm trying to say here is that couldn't it just as easily be that whichever team is able in this first round to get the power play on track is theoretically putting themselves in, a, in an entirely different league? That maybe you make these risky plays that that on paper you might say that Shane spare defensively isn't as solid of a player as Robert Haig, or maybe you say Joel Farabri brings more overall, you know, enthusiasm and and speed to the game than JVR does. But if you look at what Ghost and JVR in theory could bring to the power play, and if that's what ultimately turns the the tables for this team, isn't that the thing that makes the series shorter? And and ultimately can lead you to a, a much longer run if all these other teams keep sputtering on the power play.
0: I, I guess you want me to take that. <laughs> um, yeah, Ross. Sure. I mean, but the the, the the fact of the matter is is that I, I look I look at these I look at the playoffs and I sit there and say that if you're a, if you're a more dominant five on five team, which the Flyers are. Then the power play is less important. Okay. But if you're not, if you're if the game's if it's kind of like an even split or you're on the opposite end where you're not as good a five on five team, then the power play becomes more important. So to me, it, in this matchup, Montreal's power play is going to be far more important than the Flyers' power play is. And I just just because I think the Flyers are a significantly better team at five on five. So I think that I think in each series, in each matchup, it it, it varies. Does that, does that make sense to you? Sure. Okay. Yeah. I I think that's a good
1: point. And you know, I think that you're right. I don't think the Flyers need special teams to win them a series against Montreal, but it certainly will make the series go better. It will keep the momentum going their way. Um, You know, I think the other thing too is, is you always see a lot of penalties early in the season. And then as you guys know, come, come the end of the year, your guys, you know, guys are they're they're in such good shape that you're no longer needing your stick because your feet and your legs are fully there. And so I think as playoffs move along, we're going to see less power plays. I think we're going to see less of what we saw through the round robin, um, less of what we saw through the qualifiers. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I you know I think certain guys are are special guys on the power play, but I, I believe that Av is a very very when he looks at and it's not just AV I've i you know I've had some conversations with different people throughout the years where I went wow really like you guys are looking at it that close you know talking to like um you know a friend of mine who was a, an assistant GM in Buffalo and no longer with the team but you know they they're they're looking at this matchup player for player line for line so you know they might think they may may look at Montreal's projected lineup and they may want more speed on the back end and then Shane goes you know, we will really never – we'll have our guesses and we'll have what we think. But, you know, they're looking at it so in depth. And, and, I, and I, I think AV is when it comes to, you know, not necessarily in line matchups, but I mean lineup matchups, um, I think he's very analytical with that from – with his eyes. I believe he looks at these other teams and relies on his coaching experience relies on his memory bank and obviously film of what he's seen of other teams and he he will run through it and think about the fact that okay you know in the bottom six of Montreal's lineup they got a couple of guys who can move a little bit they got Byron uh they've got Connemmy you know who plays on the you know they've got uh, Domi and Weiss on the fourth line you know neither guy is going to blow you away but both guys get up and down the ice well so you know he's going to you know tonight we want to go with a little more speed so we want We want a guy like Goss and oh, and by the way, he helps us on the power play. So you know, I think he he does a lot of that, Um, and especially you know, these two coaches have history. Julian and 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 Av. I mean, they've replaced each other. Um, I'm pretty sure Av was the co was the coach when uh, they fired Claude, and then Av took his job within minutes or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, he you know, the the French guys kind of like replace each other, and then one fires and they hire the other one. So you know, I think a lot of that factors in and, and the, I wouldn't call it line matchups. I would call it more lineup matching um, and, and the way that they're dissecting rosters to get a certain outcome. I, I think that they're very um, not necessarily numbers analytical, but they're very uh, performance and, and sort of like what they know they're getting out of players analytical.
0: I'm going to take that, what you just said, because I think that you, what you just said was spot on. And I wanted to just take that and, and look at it big picture NHL-wise. You know, we look at this at the way that these series went in this first round, and we basically put 22 teams or 24 teams into a situation where, um, you know, they were just going to start playing again, and for most of them, they were going to play in a five-game series that determined their season. And somebody was going to advance, and somebody was going to go home. And when you look at who won, for the most part, in every situation, you had a really smart, experienced analytical coach. Maybe Chicago the only one that doesn't fit that mold. But I think that every other series, it just seemed like that 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 that, that kind of coach was what, chess game. The chess game coach was what won out in yeah. in these short series. Well, and I just want us to all be
1: really clear when we're talking about them being analytical. We're not talking about pie charts.
0: Correct. I Uh-oh. just want to make sure. Uh, no, no, we want... are, you know me. I'm not. Yeah, I'm I anti. Know. Yeah. I know.
1: <laughs> I, I'm not saying they're not looking at it, but they're not picking the lineup based on that. We're saying they're being analytical. I'm with you. The moves Tortorella made. Are you kidding me? Right. I, I mean, he and I'm not even saying that Keith did a bad job. I'm not. I'm not you know uh throwing bricks at sheldon keith right. um i'm just thinking that john tortorella is experienced and a veteran guy and what he did with those goaltenders okay mm-hmm. the way he he played those chess pieces with those goaltenders the way he played the chess pieces with gerby on the fourth line and fowdy whatever i mean that to me was it was very impressive coaching um, the way he was able to keep his team's temperament through a roller coaster, very impressive. And you know what? He, you know, there's a lot of people who are blaming Mike Sullivan for what happened in Pittsburgh. I don't see that. Right. I personally don't see that because when you have a team full of guys like he has, the onus goes more on players. Correct. Um, but, and, but
0: but when you look at it, but when you say that look at what Montreal look at Montreal and you got to give, Claude Julien credit,
1: right? I give him a ton. Right. Because he put a game plan in place and he made the neutral zone impossible for Malkin. I mean, the amount of times Malkin was circling back and he got that full head of steam and nobody was like necessarily knocking him on his ass, but just getting in his way just to break his stride and, you know what I mean, making just a little harder for a guy like that. Yeah. And that's what Montreal's going to do. Uh, you know, and, and to be honest, I, I kind of, they're you know they're kind of a, a a poor man's version of the Flyers. I mean, seriously, the way that they want to play simple hockey. I mean, they're just nowhere near as skilled. But their philosophies of wanting to keep it simple, D to D, get it up to the wingers, get it in their hands. Those are the guys that are making a lot of money. Get it to your forwards, then your goalie saves the puck when they when he when he needs to save the puck. So it's 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 somewhat similar. Not exactly, but somewhat. The Flyers are much more aggressive in the way that they attack and the way that they forecheck, but there's definite similarities between Av and Claude the way that they want to when they go the way they want to go.
2: Mm-hmm. So then, I guess now's the time. Now's the time. It's the best time. It's the right time. What's your prediction for the series?
0: Well, I'll go first because I'm, I've, I think I said it at the very beginning. I think the Flyers win this series pretty easily. Um, I'm going to pick them in five games. Um, like, I, you know, like Colby said at the beginning, you know, Carey Price, maybe he takes one game. Maybe he can steal a game for you. Um, you know, but I don't think it's going to be <laughs> the first game of this. I think the Flyers are going to take game one. Uh, on Wednesday. So maybe Carey Price gets two or three one of those in there but I think the Flyers are just a, a superior team. They're playing the right way. They have so f- they don't give up goals. They you know it's not just it's not just Carter Hart the way he played. I mean think about it Brian Elliott played a game against Washington Capitals only got 17 shots. That Washington offense was only able to generate 17 shots on goal and not all of them were high percentage chances. So the Flyers team defense is is significantly Uh, better than Montreal's offense by a, by a wide margin. I I don't see how the Canadians can score enough to, to, to beat the Flyers except for maybe a game. Um, I think the Flyers take this pretty easily.
1: Yeah. You know, it's hard to argue against anything you said. The only, my only hesitation with, with just agreeing with your prediction is that, you know, I watched their last series really carefully and, even when they were winning the series two to one, I still I still was ready to bet on Pittsburgh to win the next two. I really did. Like I just I I just didn't. I, I counted them out all mm-hmm. every step of the way, and they proved everyone wrong. Now they played well, but I just think Pittsburgh didn't play well. Like I don't think I think Montreal played well, and had was part of the reason but i don't think montreal smothered them to death and made it you know impossible i just so so yeah you know i, I hate making predictions um but yeah 4 to 1 sounds sounds right w- wouldn't shock me if it was 4 to 2 just because how many times in a playoff series do you trade wins the first two games right um and then you you go to the next place and you even you trade wins But yeah, you know what? I I think the Flyers are the superior team. It's the one versus twelve matchup for a reason, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see the series go four to one in the Flyers' favor.
2: Game's going six, and uh, the Canadians are going to win. I'm going to tell you why. What? The Canadians are going to win because hungry dogs run faster, and they. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, you're the worst. I think it is going to. I do think it's going to go six. I do. Um, And I think there are a few factors that are going to kind of play into this one. I think the flyers have gotten really lucky to this point um, that they haven't had any major injuries and I'm not predicting injuries. I'm just saying that like, there's a possibility that at some point you see somebody go down and it throws off um, a little bit of chemistry. I do think that if they can't get the power play going to start and if Montreal is able to kind of rectify theirs and if the flyers get sloppy or maybe they, Maybe some of their young players that have done well and have played well above their years, you start making a couple sloppy, you know, plays because you you kind of start to not get crushed by the by the realization that you're in the postseason and it might not feel the same. It's going to be a new level, the, though. It's yeah, the speed's it's, going up. Yeah,
1: come Wednesday. You're going, it's going up five notches.
2: Like I could see a scenario where a couple of these guys, for whatever reason, struggle, make a couple uncharacteristic, you know, things. Maybe we don't see the same confidence out of Travis Sanheim and Phil Myers. And you start to juggle the defensive pairings and that causes a little bit of parity. I think it could go six. I don't think it's going to be necessarily a a series that we'd look back on and think in the grand scheme of things, wow, that really pushed the Flyers to, you know, you know, go and reach down deep, dig down deep to pull this one out. But I do think that like carry price is good enough to steal one. And I think that there's a possibility that the flyers youth can play against them just a little bit and it costs them a game, but I do think they win. I, I, if the flyers, let's just say this, if the flyers don't win this series, this one goes down. I don't care that it's in the bubble and I don't care that it's like under all these weird circumstances. This goes down as a massive disappointment because There is the sliding scale of expectations that can happen in a given season. We came into the season saying that, like, it was possible that, you know, Anthony, what would you say? Fifth in the Metro was totally a plausible thing for this team. You saw them turn it on, and, like, this wasn't a momentum thing. This team is clearly good. If they they choke in this first round, this goes down as a massive disappointment. There's no way about – like, to me, there's no other way about it. And I'm the yeah, negative just, and I'm the negative one, right?
1: I just I, I you know what guys, and and you know a lot of people are talking about the fact that Giroux hasn't scored and but you know what, you watch Doesn't Giroux matter. play, he's playing good hockey. He is. I don't care, he hasn't scored a goal. He is playing good hockey, he's making things happen with his feet, with his hands, with his stick. He's real, reliable. You know, it, it's just you look at the way that these guys have changed their habits, um, even, even Voracek who, um, you know, there's moments where you kind of shake your head at times, you know, earlier in the year or over the years. I mean, the guy is skilled and has got a ton of talent, but you, you look at the way that these guys habits have changed and, and the accountability and, you know, now they have that feeling and, and, you know, it's very far away, but they can taste it and, Mm -hmm. and they feel it. It's not empty words. It's real. And I know this because I communicate with the guys on a regular basis. And these guys, they aren't just saying what they're supposed to say because that's what hockey players do. They say what they're supposed to say no matter what. They truly have a belief in that room. This is the year. And, you know, they've got the right group of veteran guys, uh, whether it's Giroux or whether it's Nate Thompson, who is going to be a very important player during this playoff run and people will hear me say that and they will roll their eyes and think that i'm an idiot
2: they're pointing and- they're actually opening up the uh, the binders of the pie charts right now to show you. <laughs> they can they they're can gonna, have they're, some- gonna they're, they're, they're gonna go past the couple of pages that said that uh, ivan Provorov is a third pair defenseman who can't help on the power play and they have to go past those pages a little bit but
0: right about they'll write a couple there's, there's a 2000 word a uh, screed in there somewhere to tell you why Nate Thompson is is not helpful.
1: He 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 I took a lot of a, a lot of flack on Twitter when I when I when we when the Flyers first made that trade for him because of how you know I openly was was praising the move. Uh, this guy has played deep in playoff runs before. He was on a Tampa team in 2011 that went to the conference finals. He's played for Montreal. He's been around Claude Julien. He brings a lot of veteran leadership and presence to this team that things we will maybe never see on the score sheet or with our own eyes, but they're important things. And, um, you know, it's it's a – I'm excited. I really am. I'm glad the playoffs are finally starting. Uh, I'm, I'm really just, like, I'm kind of anxious to see, like, you know, now that you're, you guys, you know, you, we know, like, it's going up a few notches. I mean, mm-hmm. the intensity, the speed, the physicality. Because it's going to look like normal playoff hockey. It, it's not going to look different because there's no fans. I mean, we've it's been proven now through the through the qualifying games with whether it was Vancouver and Minnesota, they couldn't get through seven minutes without someone spearing someone or throwing a was, Jason Spezza throwing off his gloves to try to stay. Are, I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah, it's it's going to be good, and I'm excited.
2: Yeah. So um, there's one thing that we didn't do on the last show that we've got to do. And that, of course, is make Anthony smile with a five-star review. And they and Colby, I'm mean, I'm actually going to tell you that there's there's something about you in one of these that uh, we're going yeah, to get out really. Yeah, I know, because you know, Colby was. I don't remember if he said it on the show, if he said it to me off the show, but he's like, you know, it's just every once in a while you like to hear something nice, because you know, Twitter's kind of a cesspool, and so so like sometimes it's nice to hear a good thing. So, um, here we go, gents. This is time. Uh, five-star review from Sea Flyers fan. L I think that says uh, great insight, five stars. Russ and Ant really work well together. Tons of great info about the team. One of the best hockey podcasts. And now it's time for Colby as we get to the Lee C five-star review of the day. All right. Uh, Capital punishment podcast. This was another great podcast. Great analysis by Colby Cohen. He brings it every time with pinpoint pinpoint comments on the play of the team, as well as his evaluation of JVR and ghost. His evaluation of Phil Myers was also good. I'm hoping Ghost gets to play on Saturday to help the power play going. Do you put JVR on the second line and move Lawton down to the third line with Grant and Abe Kubel? I'm not sure you want to break the chemistry of Lawton Hayes and Connectney yet. Remember all the coaches. Uh, remember all coaches have players they get on for players' individual motivation or just motivate the team in general. Great job, guys! Continued success with your podcast. That's the least C five star review. Colby, look at that. You got a little bit of love. How about that?
1: It's it's rare, and I – you know what I need to do? I need a sign that says I'm from here and grew up a Flyers fan because I I feel like, you know, people just think I'm this total outsider who, like, what am I doing around this team? And, you know, what, what I think people fail to realize is that, I mean, I, my entire youth I spent watching – Eric Lindros, John LeClair, Michael Renberg, and and Eric Desjardins, and Chris Terrian, and and I mean, I was devastated when I was at the draft, and uh, the Flyers had the, I think, 23rd pick, and you know, I was still sitting there, and I mean, I truly thought that was going to, and the debt, I was more It wasn't that I didn't get picked in the first round. It was that the Flyers skipped me at 23 after all of the meetings we had. And it was was devastating to me. That's all I ever wanted was to play here. And uh, as a kid, it was all I did. I sat in school every day, and I came up with what the line should be that night. I mean, so um, I think I just need a sign to remind people that I'm from here. I grew up here. I grew up a Flyers fan. You know, my whole career, whether I was playing against the American League team or watching or whatever, I always followed the Flyers and always had my eye on them. And I always, you know, secretly hoped that phone call would come where I'd get traded. You know, so every now and again, to have someone say something other than that I'm, they want to punch me in the face, which is the pretty normal one,
0: it's, you know, <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Hey, Colby, you, need, you know what you need to do is you need to get yourself one of those Delco hats, right? With the little not where a the, the Pennsylvania with a little star and it says Delco not, on it. Right. It's, it's, to it's to not let not people know idea. where you're really from, where you really, where I mean, it came, you, know, you came from.
1: I'm not going to pretend like I grew up in South Philly, but I did grow up in the suburbs and I, right. you know, I, I went to Roger Nielsen's hockey camp my entire youth. I would spend weeks on end out in at his place in Lindsay going to his hockey camp. You know, my, my, Mom drank out of the cup in the 70s because, you know, she was very close with the Snyder boys at the time because they were in school together. So, right. you know, it runs deep for me and, and for my family. And, and, you know, I just don't think people are quite aware of that.
2: You know, right. the, here's what the problem is, Colby. People don't realize this, but they tend to like people who aren't from here, who then go on to have long careers and act like they were always from here. That's how that's how the city works. <laughs> Stop it, Russ. It's absolutely how. Oh,
0: come on! Some of the Stop people it. who have
2: had the longest success <laughs> in like Philadelphia sports media, most of them are from New England, and yet people are like, "Oh no, now he speaks." Most of people. them are from New England.
1: He, I
0: can he, think of he like understands. two.
1: <laughs> I can. I only know one, and it's because he's just the best guy. I mean, <laughs> I can think of two
0: you know. from New England. Who else is from New England besides Angelo and Al? We'll talk. We'll talk off the uh, – Yeah, eye. I don't know.
1: And Al, I mean, I, lo- I love Al. Yeah, he's I great. I love Al. Oh. Al's phenomenal. And you know what? You know what I love about Al and I love about working with Al? Because Al has watched and covered hockey for a very long time, and we have very different point of view on just about everything. But what I like about Al is that he sort of challenges me to look at things a little bit differently and where we probably don't always see the same play the same way and Bundy and I don't either, by the way. We see the same play very differently. I feel that Al really will challenge me to look at something in a different light uh, or think about it from a different angle, maybe, which uh, has helped me in my ability to actually evaluate a game and evaluate players. So, uh, you know, he's, he's 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 the man, Al. I mean, you cannot love Al. Yeah, so. The other guy I don't know.
2: Yeah so here's what uh here's our last thing for the uh wait 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 wait. before you have the before you hit the last thing i have a i have a quick rant i have a quick
0: rant oh boy the the draft lottery concluded tonight yeah yeah i knew the draft lottery concluded tonight and big surprise guys the new york rangers won the lottery I, did you did, did either of you watch it? Did either of you see the physical I did. lottery? I watched
1: it. All yeah, right, I Colby,
0: did. tell me tell me if I'm nuts. Okay, now I'm sitting there. Now they've just for in case people didn't see it, it was done like the old, um, uh, like the old P- Pennsylvania lottery used to be done, where they would have the the machine with the ping pong balls, and they were all bouncing around, and then you push a button, and then the air thing sucks one of the balls up to the top, right? So that's how they were doing it. So they had all the balls in there with the logo of the team in there. And we're watching it and they're zooming in and it's taking forever for the guy to push the button and like a ball would get close and then it would drop back down and another one would get close and it would drop back down. And I'm sitting there saying to myself, is he purposely waiting for a specific ball to get into that cylinder to push the button to suck it up? And we had talked previously uh, about the, that we had said that there's one, that there's no way that this lottery doesn't go one of two ways, <laughs> either New York or Pittsburgh. And I thought New York made the most sense because the league needs New York to, be, to do well, especially coming out of this COVID situation. Um, you know, they have a nice young team. They d- made a couple of nice moves, uh, you know, to get a couple of players. I, I think they're building in the right direction. This only helps expedite that a little bit further. I, you ain't going to convince me otherwise. I think this one might have been a little bit fixed. <laughs>
1: I'm, I, I'm not, I, I know watched You can't it. go that way. <laughs> no, I watched it and it was funny how like each time they pulled a team's ping pong ball out of this little poker chest thing that they had, they asked Gary Bettman, can you confirm that this is the logo of such said team? And um, I, I yeah, I don't, I don't think that that's, I'm not a conspiracy person. As oh, soon God. as it happened though, I texted uh, David Quinn, who's the coach, and I said to him, not a bad day to be the New York Rangers coach. And he, he kind of gave me the, yeah, it makes the the fact that we just laid an egg for a week and embarrassed ourselves a, a, a little bit more tolerable. And uh, and I said to him, D- like, have you seen the kid? Ha- um, you know, what is he the real deal? And he said, they tell me he's the real deal, which means, you know, he probably has, has heard about the kid, but I, I don't think he's, he's really seen the kid play, but look cheap labor for the New York Rangers who have $7 million in dead cap space next year and TBD, what they're going to do with Henrik who, um, you know, has an eight and a half million dollar cap hit as well, but they're paying, you know, 6 million against the cap next year for Shattenkirk's buyout. They're paying one, three, something for Girardi and they're paying three and chain 300,000 on Spooner's cap hit numbers. So, you know, seven million in dead cap space, which you can't trade. That's a, a that's a first line player or first pair defenseman. So mm-hmm. they're going to need to get creative with Hank with with his eight and a half million. But it's certainly going to help them uh, in New York to get to get some uh, to get some cheap labor in a rookie contract. But honestly, I. I I like it. I want to see the division be more – like, I want the Rangers to be good. I want to see the Flyers and the Rangers start battling again like they used to. Um, so, it, it it doesn't bother me. I mean, yeah, I would have laughed it's good if it happened league. to Pittsburgh. It's if it would have happened league. for Pittsburgh, I would have been like, what just happened? Are you really <laughs> going to have Crosby? I, really? But, you know, it, it was uh,
0: – That's good for the league. It's good I'm for gonna, the league for the Rangers to be good.
2: I'm going to say something that's really going to upset people. I don't hate the Rangers. And conceptually, I don't hate teams that play in Madison Square Garden because there's something that always feels like a big game when you play those teams. Oh, yeah. And, and when, you, when you talk about great what's, place
1: to play, like yeah. when you talk great about what's,
2: what's good for the league, a team that plays in Madison Square Garden that happens to play in New York City being good is good for the sport. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I would rather see the Flyers have, you know, the next decade have the Rangers be this back and forth rival with them, then I'd rather watch Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh is an inferior city. It's a place that doesn't even have a basketball team. And it's a team that has like a disgrace of a baseball team. And by the way, the Phillies aren't exactly great either, but like, there's that. And um, I don't know. I just think that like Pittsburgh fans got a little bit too snarky. They started sniffing it. Like, I'm not here for it. That's New fine. York. Fine. You know, whatever. Uh, that's fine. I have no problem
0: colby i've always I've always said people ask me and I've been to a game in every city in the NHL except Vegas obviously that's the only one I haven't been to where's the where is the best place to watch hockey and i I put it at I, I said there's two and then there's everybody else, and the two are Madison Square Garden and Montreal and then i don't th- I don't think that there's about do you think anywhere else even comes close to those two so as a player
1: i I, I played the last game of preseason, maybe it was my second or third year in Montreal in a sold-out preseason game. Um, it was very cool. Yeah. Uh, it was that preseason game where it's, it's almost the team plus the one guy, me, who's about to get sent down after. But, <laughs> um, so I, I got to play it, and that was cool because Montreal at the Bell Center, and I don't know what it's called now. I, I think the names change, but the seats go up mm-hmm. instead of back. And when you're a defenseman and you get the puck on the blue line, you feel crowded and you can feel the presence of everyone because yep. of the way that the seats go. You almost feel like you don't have as much time. Things happen quicker on that ice. Um, so, yes, that was cool. It was cool because, you know, it was a preseason game and, you know, I had a 15-person media scrum. Like, I'm like, are you guys – do you have the wrong guy? Like, am I standing in front of Burgie's locker or something here? But um, – <laughs> You know, Madison Square Garden, I never got to play a game at other than I played when I was at BU. We played against Cornell there, my freshman and my junior year, and it was sold out. And I mean, I never had butterflies like I had playing in those games just because it's New York. There's just something about it. You know, it was a Thanksgiving tradition. They still do it. It's called Red Hot Hockey between BU and Cornell. It's a huge draw because there's a ton of alumni in the city and Mike Arruzzioni drops the puck and Joe Neuendijk is the other guy for Cornell. There's just, anytime you're in there, you just kind of feel that tradition, whether it's Billy Joel on the walls or, and, and you, you just, that energy, you can really just feel that. And, and yeah, I mean, I did get to call a playoff game in Vegas and it was one of the most loud experiences of my life. They love it. And it is very cool what they do there, but I'm with you on New York and Montreal. I think that those places are incredible places to play, but you know, I will say come playoff, normal playoff, um, the Wells Fargo center deep in a playoff run Mm -hmm. and the Boston garden deep Mm -hmm. in a playoff run are deafening places. Yeah. They're, they're, they're right They're in that group of Montreal and, and Boston and Philly. I mean, there aren't many louder atmospheres. Yeah, I, and playoffs. I thought Chicago was
0: like that for the playoffs, too. It's, I just don't think it is regular season so much. But I, but when I, we were there for the Cup Finals in 2010, I mean, that, you know, Madhouse on Madison, I and mean, it was rocking, man. That was, that yeah, was a cool place fun. to be, too. It's, yeah.
1: it's, a fu- it's a great atmosphere. You yeah. know, like you just – you appreciate the history and the atmosphere when you walk into some of those buildings – and, you know, they wear it with a lot of pride. And when you're a hockey fan, no matter what team you like, you have a level of appreciation for that.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, guys, we have a very important thing to do now. We have the giveaway. Everybody's name, everybody who entered on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram were put into the, uh, the randomized wheel. And uh, now it's time to announce we have five winners. There were five shirts. And I will be reaching out to those people via DM. Probably later tonight, so they might actually hear hear of, uh, from me before the episode even goes live. Uh, first one is from Twitter, Kelsey Taylor at What Else Is New over on Twitter. So Kelsey, you are one of the winners. Congratulations! Congratulations, Kelsey. Uh, over on Facebook, on the Snow the goalie page, we had Mike McNamara. So over on Facebook, so Mike, you are one of the winners. Congratulations, Congratulations Mike. We have another Twitter user I'm doing the Ben Davis here. By the way. Oh, okay. Just like stating the obvious again. I yeah.
1: really like Ben Davis. He's oh, awesome here we go. Um, he's an awesome like
2: guy. Him. He's yeah, an awesome I, guy.
1: I, I played golf with him one time. Big fan.
0: Yeah, another Delco guy. Yeah, he's from Aston. <laughs> How did he do on the course?
1: I don't remember. It was Michael Barkan's charity tournament. So I think everyone was just kind of enjoying themselves. But um, I really enjoyed my conversations with him and talking a little bit about broadcasting, being in the booth, not having played for the team that you're, um, because he didn't play for the Phillies, right? No, he didn't. No. So, just we kind of like we're having some of those conversations. He's a very, very smart guy. Like his yeah. intelligence. When I talked to him, I was like, "Damn, I'm just gonna listen to this guy talk because I think I can learn." Yeah. He's he's. Colby talks man. a lot
2: about other people sounding intelligent. Now I'm starting to wonder. He doesn't say. He say, ever say doesn't ever say you're intelligent, right? He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. So I did upset. have a
1: wise crack about you DMing people later
2: tonight, but I I just let it go. Aw, thanks, man. Ah, I'm going to uh. go cry in the corner. <laughs> All right, uh, next one, Twitter user uh, Christine, at Christine ends. I think is how that's said. So you are one of our winners as well. That was over on Twitter. Congratulations, uh, we, Christine. We have two more. Over on our Instagram, at Snow the Goalie, we had Dylan Cook, DK Cookie 37 Congratulations. You are one of the winners.
0: Out of way. C- congratulations, Dylan, and my
2: number, 37. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, last one is a Twitter user. It was Poseidon312 at sreader87. Congratulations to you. You are the fifth and final winner. Poseidon. Congratulations, Poseidon. So recap, DK Cookie 37 over on Instagram, Mike McNamara on Facebook, Christine, uh, Christi, Christine Enns on Twitter, Kelsey Taylor on Twitter, and uh, Poseidon312 on Twitter. You are the five winners. I will be reaching out to you shortly. Um, we'll figure out the shirts. So They're not all the same size. There are some XLs, and I think there's one large and one medium. So we'll try to, we'll try to sort this one out.
0: I'll leave that up to you, Russ.
2: But I do want to say a big thank you, uh, in all honesty, to the Flyers for sending these over. Um, I'm just trying to find the – there it is. Uh, this came from the team. They sent these over, and they said – to make everyone aware that the Flyers official playoff merchandise is uh, available for purchase online at shop.wfcphilly.com, or you can go in person to the Flyers team store located out of Wells Fargo center. They're open weekdays from one to 6 PM. So a big thank you to the fine folks over at the Flyers who, uh, you know, fulfilled uh, some, some happy moments. I'm sure that these five winners are going to be really thrilled to uh, win some playoff merch. Try to get out to the mail um on tuesday hopefully you know there's a lot of things going on about the postal service right now but hopefully they won't be delayed knock on wood and uh, we'll get those out to you by uh, game one or maybe game two so yep thanks to uh, thanks to a uh, new marketing guy mark
0: zarthur over there him and his team that's who uh they're the ones who got us the shirts so i wanted to send that shout out to mark
2: look at you look at you trying to be nice to people i don't like it You you want
0: me to be miserable again? I'll be miserable again.
2: You're it's just, it's more, I've
0: decided to, I've decided to set to change Russ and I'm going to be, since, you know, everything's happy, go lucky with the flyers. Now I'm just going to, you know, aim all my vitriol and anger towards you. That's it.
2: Well, I'll say that I, I, well, you know what, if we're going to, if we're going to, you know, name drop people here, uh, the first person who fielded an email was Sarah Schwab and a big thank you to Shannon Rostick, who was uh, yeah person who coordinated sending these things.
1: i recognize her name from emails shannon media advisory email
0: yes yes shannon rostick That's sends out right. all the media yes. advisory emails yes. i do
1: i do rec- i recognize it <laughs> see, I, I get <laughs> the there emails see how you go in. it's all good i know i know, who, I know who we're talking you know <laughs> it's on the flyers right okay, yes
2: no, the wings. So, um, anyway, thanks to everybody who entered the contest. Of course, you know, spread the word about Snow the Goalie, the only flyers podcast. I mean, at this point, I know that like sports radio is like trying to talk about about hockey. It's, it's really cute. It's very sweet. But They've this been is pretty good. They've been pretty okay. Good the last couple of days. People are I saw you coming around. I saw you did a hit on, uh, on the radio. I saw Anthony did a hit on the radio. I criticized radio on Twitter. It's all good. So, I will uh, tell you, I but, went on with D. Lineham on Saturday.
1: Um, D. Lineham and her dad are big hockey fans. They like hockey. I, I mean, I, I see Coach lineham around the newsroom every now and again. Loves to talk about the Flyers. Loves to talk about Flyers. It
2: must be so, weird, though, that, like, you can only find him at the end of a uh, rainbow. Very strange. <laughs> he does have that. That, his, that his beard, that going. leprechaun beard that he's got going, I, I, I have so many questions. I really Only do. he could pull that off yeah I, I don't know if he's pulling okay um so anyway <laughs> thank you to everybody who entered the contest don't forget spread the word about the show uh we're available over on facebook facebook.com slash twitter at snow the goalie and instagram at snow the of course you can follow all of us over on those social media platforms at aunt san philly at colby cohen 36 at joy on broad thanks for listening And make sure you hit the subscribe button or follow if you're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, wherever else you get your podcasts. We'll be back later this week. Don't forget, every postseason game, every playoff game, we will be doing the Press Row Show. So pregame, first intermission, second intermission, postgame to be determined, but definitely pregame, first and second intermissions. We will be here. We will be live over on the Snow the Goalie channels and over on the Crossing Broad Facebook page and Twitter account. So, for Ant. For Colby, for myself, and for the orange and black. Thanks for listening to Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast. We'll talk to you later this week.